0: I'm glad you said that. I had, a, I had a student last night in youth ministry say that I was 45. So, not that that's a bad thing, but like, you, no, I don't. It all went downhill. Um, all right. I want to ask this question, though, because I think it's always fun. We have a lot of new faces and everything, um, and I'm not going to ask where you're from or what this, but I would love to hear... Um, and you can, if everyone yells it out, then it's completely pointless. But if you just want to share, raise your hand, and I'll pick, uh, you know, and, and I can, you guys can share. But um, how did you get to hear about our ministry? Who, who brought you to it? Like, did you get invited? Who would like to share kind of, who led them? Yes. Grady. Grady, That's awesome, man. Mm-hmm. Invited by a friend. Anyone else? How'd you hear about us? Yes, sir. Instagram. Instagram. Hey. I randomly showed up one night. Man, you know who runs it? I have no idea. Me. <laughs> And that just makes me so happy because I am horrible at social media. (laughs) But now I feel like I'm at least an amateur. I should be getting paid something. All right, never mind. (laughs) Paul, you're the whole goal. All right, who else? How else did you hear about our ministry? Yes, ma'am. Elizabeth Pettit. Pettit. Awesome. Yes, you had John? Nick, Nick, my boy. I look for the white. There it is. Between him and Grady, I got to make sure I find the right hat. One has a cross, one has a smiley face. So we're good. Anyone else? Different story. Cool. Lots of I mean we pretty much covered it. Friends, social media. You know what cracks me up is I took the time when I first got here to kind of revamp our website that's on Indian Rocks like Baptist Church's website and our little page. And and funny enough, is it like I guess if you put more content that's like interactable with I don't even know if that's a word, uh, like on a page, it like bumps up its like Google stance. And we had like four or five young adults find our ministry because they Googled young adult ministry in our area, and our page popped up. And I was like, that's awesome. See, right there, Google. Man, Google has a lot of faults, but we're one of the good things. So who can tell me what chapter of Romans we are in? Yeah, yes. I don't know why. I heard five right after, and I got thrown off. We are in Romans chapter 6. So turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. We are going to be diving straight in. Uh, but I want to start with this quote. We're actually going to open up with a quote, uh, kind of get us a little loose. Um, and normally I probably wouldn't quote this guy, but he is kind of funny, and he, most of the times he's, he's pretty decent. Um, but inside this quote, it actually kind of shares the heartbeat of what we're going to be sitting with tonight. And so uh, this, this is from Tom Segura. He's a comedian. Uh, yep. Yep. Two Bears, One Cave, podcast, all that fun stuff. Yes. So this is a quote from him, and I think it does kind of radiate what we need. And so he goes, I like my shame straight up and honest. And nobody does it better than In-N-Out Burger. You go to In-N-Out Burger, and they ask you the most shameful question in fast food. I'll have a burger, fries, and a Coke. And they ask, will you be eating that in your car? (laughs) Yes, I think so. Right? Shame. We kind of talked about it in the in the previous message in chapter 5, but shame is such a heavy burden for us. Shame is such a such a weighty call on our lives, especially in our day and age with COVID where everyone became a keyboard warrior and everyone could shame each other and not have to deal with the consequences cuz it's on a screen, right? Like we could and po- man politics, right? Like we could we could attack and shame people so fast in like 2020 because we all just hid behind a computer. And then we didn't have to get punched in the face for calling someone weird for what they believed, right? Like, we could just hide behind it. But I want to I twist it because I, I like how he says, I want my shame straight up, right? I want my shame just ready to go. I want, don't hide it, just, just chuck it at me. But um, I think for a lot of us, and this is something I still may, I sometimes catch myself walking through this struggle, but... Um, how many of us were saved, we've been baptized, we're serving in the church, man, we're, we're, we're out front with everything that we're doing, and then on the inside, when we get home after we've served, sometimes that first emotion that hits is what? Shame, struggle, right? Did I say the right thing? Should I have said what I said? Did I serve enough? And immediately, it's, it's, we, we, it's almost like the fallout of ministry, especially camp, you go serve at a summer camp for a week, like afterwards, you just like tank, right? You're just like, I had to be on spiritual thousand for like five days. So these kids didn't see how broken I was, right? And we just wanted to have fun. And then you like get back on Saturday and you're like, I don't even know if I can go to church tomorrow. Like we're whooped and it's this spiritual high and every high has a fallout, right? And it's this, it's this fallout. And I think we experience that in very small ways, very daily sometimes for us. Because what happens is we're still human. And even though we're saved, we have sinful thoughts. We commit sinful actions. And immediately, we become ashamed of ourselves. We, we start to struggle with the doubt of, like, man, if, if I'm really saved, like, would I even have just done what I did? And we start diving into these things. And so uh, I shared some of my testimony last night with our youth. And I, and I want to show, so I, I was in vet tech for 11 years. I did not go to school for it. I learned by trial and error when I say trial and error I got attacked and bit probably more than anyone else in the field but it's fine it's scars and stories I guess of and why I only like my cat um, because no cat is a nice cat at the vet but I was a vet tech for 11 years it was awesome my at 16 I was failing school miserably um, and my mom's boss at the time who was also our vet because my mom's a head tech there um, looked at me and said son Maybe you just need some motivation. How about if I give you a job and you at least get C's or better, you can keep it. And so I got it and I started off as the kennel kid, you know, scraping the poop and the pee and the runs from the boarding dogs and whenever a dog got scared and pooped in the hallway like I was the, the attaboy and just go grab the poop and work my way up. I learned how to draw blood. I helped in surgeries. I did x-rays. I could, I worked the front desk. So I, I built my way up in 11 years. Luckily, I wasn't scraping poop the whole, well, actually, never mind. It's animals. We we're always scraping poop. But in that span of time, there was a group of people that I worked with that knew me before I came to Christ. But they also saw me after I came to Christ. And we all know in our immaturity, and even still now, luckily as you walk with the Lord, it gets less and less, but we still make mistakes and make dumb decisions. Well, early on after I got saved at 16, I started working there, and so I was, I was saved but I still, I still held a lot of vices, right? And I still, you know, I would go to church, but then on Monday afternoon after working a 12-hour shift, me and my friend at work would go and, and make dumb decisions, right? Just go act like idiots and, yeah, that squeaks. We're not going to stand there. Um, and, and as I got more serious with my faith, what happened? Confliction struck confusion set in, because part of me was, was trying to live for the Lord, and the other part of me was like, how in the world can I talk to these people about my convictions when I'm right there with them in some of the things that they're doing? And I, and I started to get stressed out, and I started to struggle, and I felt ashamed that I couldn't share my faith, because I was claiming Jesus and living just like him. And now all of a sudden I have a problem with what they're doing? What do you label that type of person? A hypocrite. We're afraid that we're going to be labeled a hypocrite if we start to stand up for our faith because we've been maybe shy about it around a certain friend group for a little while. Or it's just the conviction of the Holy Spirit sinks in so hard that we finally have to say something about how our friend's living even though we might have egged it on in the beginning. And what stops us is that we think we're going to feel like A hypocrite. See, I think there's a lot of us in this room that if we're not going to say it out loud, we'd at least admit it to ourselves. That we're ashamed to speak out about Jesus or share pivotal moments of our faith because certain family and friends might not fully get that you're a believer, right? Like, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's cool. You got God on Sundays, but like, let's go get lit on Saturday, right? Right? Like, yeah, you got God on on Wednesday nights and Thursday nights, but like, come on, Friday? Friday's for the boys. Right? And then all of a sudden, as you mature in your faith, you start to realize, man, like some of these petty things that I've just let go too long are the stumbling block of why I have not been able to step into that next season. And now what happens? You now have to confront That friends group. You now have to confront that person that you've probably been having a wrong relationship with. You now have to confront yourself. With the reality that the Holy Spirit's weighing on you so much that you can't live or speak any other way but then the truth. And it's gonna be hard. It's gonna be rough. And it's gonna hurt. Unfortunately for Tom and his quote about In N Out Burger is he's not wrong. I'd rather have my shame straight up, but I think he loves his shame a little too much. He finds his identity in what's shameful, right? It's obviously not changing him if he's so used to going that he eats it in his car and they know it, right? And my heart burns for the guy and I hope the gospel gets to him. I'll probably tag him, hashtag him in this since we made his quote, but who knows, but then there's this other quote from John Leonard. At first I thought it was John Lennon and I was like, "Oh, this is going to set it up so perfectly. It's John Leonard." But it's still a great quote and I'll explain who this guy is after I give the quote. He says in the cellars of the night. So like not like the cellars but like the what we don't have in Florida cuz you'd hit water like in a basement. So in the cellars of the night when the mind starts to move around the old trunks of bad times, the pain of this, the shame of that, the memory of a small boldness is a hand to hold. So he's saying as we lay there at night, and right, it's all of us. Satan and our own sins starts to just weigh on us. And it's, it's like those memes with the brain that's like, you sleeping? Trying. Hey, remember that one time that you just made a complete, and right, and we just bunny trail just completely down. Like, this is that moment he's talking about. And he said, You know what the remedy for that is? You know what's going to let you sleep like a little baby every night? Just try to remind yourself of one small boldness, one small bold act where you weren't ashamed, where you were bold, you were confident, you were strong. He says, Just hold on to that one memory see John actually had a lot of room to talk in this area for, for a secular stance for a worldly stance this man was a journalist and a critic of culture in the early I mean in the late 1900s early 2000s for the New Yorker for some other well known newspapers and, and he so him and his wife actually worked with him so him and his wife their whole job was to study the Evan, they got the people watch like, which is great. How many, you don't, we go to coffee shops and just people watch, anybody else? Amen, all right, good. Some of the couples were like, yes. <laughs> we get to drink coffee, we don't even have to talk and it's the best time ever, right? Not in a bad way, it's a good way, it's peaceful. People watching. Well, they turned it into a business, but unfortunately what they grasped from humanity, what they grasped from watching people walk around, their nugget of hope was just gl- grab on to a small piece of boldness. That's, that's their resounding cry for how to overcome shame and doubt. Just think back to something bold you did. Well, believe it or not, you can be bold for all the wrong reasons. You can be bold for all the dumb reasons. There's actually, I think, like a whole movie series with Johnny Knoxville about people being bold in all the wrong ways possible. And if I read out of the King James, I'd say the name, but I don't so I'm not going to. But what if we could change this truth? What if if there was something greater than just thinking of something I did that's gonna help me get through the night? What if there's something out there that's so pivotal, so true, so amazing, that's beyond me, that when shame and doubt and sorrow hit my heart, I don't have to dig down into the cellar of my own heart trying to scheme up something that I may have done. I can turn to something that's already been done. I can turn to something that's outside of myself that's guaranteed, that's true, that's accurate, that's historical, that can't change no matter how stupid I get. What if we could have changed the answer for John and his wife? So what does that look like? Well, that looks like studying Romans chapter 6. And I titled this sermon, Creature and Creator. And and I had a different title, which sounded way cooler. And then this one just for me summed it up so much better. So let's dive in. Let's see what this has to say. Because last week, we talked all about what? Gospel and sorrow, right? We talked about how the gospel, if we have a right view of the gospel, we now look different at the topic of sorrow, It gives sorrow purpose. It gives sorrow meaning. It gives us a reason for why we might be suffering. The gospel gives us purpose in all aspects of life. And I think even last week, we kind of talked about that, right? Sometimes we can doubt where we stand. We can doubt if we truly are His, And a lot now with our church, we talk about a thing called theological triage or, or um, doctrines and beliefs that we will stand firm on and others that we'll kind of have preferences with and others that are like great coffee shop talks that really aren't going to affect how we see the gospel, right? And that, that of first of importance level is anything that pertains to the gospel, that secondary level, right, that, that secondary issues are like denominational distinctives, like, hey, We sprinkle, you dunk. Okay, we're probably not going to worship together on a Sunday morning, but like you're still a brother and sister in Christ, right? Or, hey, we only sing hymns and you guys have a full-on fog machine. We might not worship together, but we're still going to call each other brothers and sisters, right? And then there's a third issue where it's like, hey, you're going to get raptured before tribulation? Hey, we're already in tribulation. Hey, have you ever heard mid-wrath Right? There's those topics where most of you already are like, what in the good Lord is he talking about? Right? Those are those third tier issues to where when you know you're around a group of firm believers that you've been doing life with, that you can throw in the nugget of like, hey, what do you think about post mill?" And then you just go at it. Right? You know, is there going to be a kingdom? Is there not? You know, we have those topics. This topic we're going to cover tonight is first tier. If we can't get this one right, we go off course quick. And so let's dive into the first few verses. Starting in verse 1, it says, What shall we say then? Right? If it's by grace through faith, if the work is complete, if it is finished, then what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This is that picture. This is that that moment when we go to do baptisms. This is that narrative that we give because that's what he's expressing. He's saying, listen, you've been buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in newness of life. Is the gospel only a future reality? No, the moment you surrender your life to Jesus, your eternal life starts then. It says, you've now been raised to walk in newness of life. I like this. Paul, like I can't wait to meet Paul in heaven. Like he's, he's got all, he's got all like the nuances, right? And he, some people might think he's crazy because he's talking to himself or he's a very skilled monologue writer. That's how I choose to look at it. He writes very good monologues because he's asking questions and answering himself. But he knew that the moment that he showed that salvation is and has been always by grace through faith, that people would jump all over it to cover up their sin nature. It's by grace through faith. I ain't got to worry about it. The more I sin, the more he forgives. It's a win-win. Hallelujah. Right? Seems like A, B equals C. I failed that math class. So if that equation doesn't actually work, I'm out. I don't know. See, if our actions match the world, but our words have the right amount of christian ease. Right? If we have just the right Christian lingo, but we're acting like our unsaved friends, right? Are we truly being a witness? If your friends can look at you and go, like, man, if that's what Christianity is like, I ain't got to change a thing except for say, like, I love Jesus on Sunday mornings, then I'm in. Like, I can still go and just make God-awful decisions Monday through Saturday. But on Sunday morning, I just got to go sing a hymn or two? Woo! 10.45 service? I get to sleep in from Saturday night? I'm there. Count me a Christian. I want that style of Jesus. See, Paul is making it clear that we as believers are born again with new hearts, new motives, and desires. This means that the normality of living and loving sin is beginning to look different daily for the believer. It's like infants, right? As we continue to... It's even for all of us now, because if we're all honest, we're in the awkward stage of life all over again. We're still trying to figure it out. But each day, we're getting a little bit better. I still walk a little goofy, but it's not like my two-year-old nephew. He went from crawling to just full-on running into walls, right? Like, he, he made the transition, he got there, right? But a little while ago, he couldn't walk. Now he's getting into everything. He's growing and he's learning, and that's why I love the language of Scripture that says, "You are born again." It's not just at the moment that you get saved; you're perfect. Just rapture me up now, Jesus. Send me that whirlwind with the chariot. I want to go home. No, we are born again now. And scripture says we're being daily conformed into the image of Jesus. So if you've genuinely been born again, things are gonna naturally start to convict and you're gonna naturally start to feel different. Are you gonna get it right every single day? Absolutely not. That's why it's by grace through faith. But something's gotta give. Start cursing a little less. Amen. Amen. I start being so crotchety to people. Trust me, I, that's my vice. I am like 80 when it comes to my just wherewithal to be nice, especially when I'm driving. I'm like 70 now. The Holy Spirit's brought me down, right? I'm like 70. But you see what? There's these changes, right? Where normally if someone just was, I didn't want anything to do with them, I would just not even try to hide it. I'm just like, nope, see you tomorrow. Now you're like, listen, I'll give you a hot 10 minutes, and then I'm going <laughs> to. No, but you know what, like, there, ha- there has to be conviction, or else what is the Holy Spirit doing? His ministry is to remind us of the word. Why would we need to be reminded of the word? Because we're sinners saved by grace. We still need to be reminded of what we've been saved from. We were buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in and newness of life. That's why he now goes on to say in 5 and 6, he says, For if we have been united with him in, his, in the death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. See, we have to be so careful, right? Because we just said it. If I were to ask how many of you here were believers today, a lot of us would raise our hands, and then then if I ask you, okay, how how many of you, the moment you surrendered your life to Christ, you no longer sinned, how many of you would still raise your hand? Gotcha, good, don't do it, or else, I mean, we'd have a great gospel conversation afterwards, but, so that's where we have to be careful, he's saying, so so that the sin will become nothing, no longer enslaved, and that's the key word we need to hold on to tonight, no longer enslaved to sin. I really wish some of us would actually take some of this terminology more serious, though, because it says, Ephesians 2, right? You were dead in your trespasses. And all of us are like, yeah, that's, that's pretty intense. I stopped spitting dip, though, and, like, I go to church on Wednesday nights. So, you know what I mean? Like, Jesus is pretty helpful, no, 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 you were dead. I don't know if you've ever seen something dead, but like it doesn't do anything. It serves no purpose or reason. It's it dead. But the moment it gets life, right, when, we, when we're alive, we're different than being dead, right? Right? If someone was made alive just to act dead, what was the point of being made alive, right? See, that's the beauty of these words. He doesn't just say, hey, you guys sucked kind of bad. Like, without Jesus, you're kind of a turd. But, like, if you get Jesus, it's like having poo right? Now does everything smells great in the bathroom. That's not the gospel, The gospel isn't like, yeah, you're a really good person. You know what can make you better? Jesus. No, the gospel's, you're dead in your sin. Without anything happening to you, you're going to go to the finality of what that is, and that's hell. But thanks be to the grace of God that Christ Jesus came at just the right time so that he could show us in redemptive history the historic, accurate, true perfect salvation message which is him dying on the cross and then conquering the grave he did it for us see jesus conquered he loves you so much that he died to bring peace to you in a divine confidence we talked about this last week in chapter five right we we need to first be at peace with god before we can get peace from god we always love sending out prayers and good vibes and good energy to people. We love praying to God for peace in the East, right? We just, we, we love peace. We love divine peace. But 95% of the time we forget that we need to first be at peace. And how do we become at peace with God? It's through the gospel of Jesus Christ that makes us in a right standing with God. See, we want peace so that we don't have to worry about the sin and the decisions that we're making, right? We love the band-aid of grace. Slap it on there so grace can abound more, right? I want to keep sinning, but then I'm going to band-aid the wound with grace so that God gets the glory. It's not how it works. By no means, he says. See, in Jesus, what you think is ugly about yourself, he says, I made it in his likeness. See, we get get an eternal peace the moment we surrender our lives to the gospel. The moment we understand the gospel message, we understand that we were made in the likeness of God. That's why humanity is different. That's why we were given the gospel, not Fluffy or Lucy or Lassie. God didn't send Billy Graham the Greyhound to them to go get saved in the pound. No, he sent Christ Jesus in the form of man to come save humanity. You are unique You are different. So the moment you start hating yourself, you're hating something that God created. And the only way we can truly ever start to love ourselves is to know that we are not our own. To know that we were made by someone who says in the Psalms, I have knitted you in your mother's womb. I knew you from before the foundations of the earth. I formed you. So when we go home and we feel like no one will ever love us, no one will ever like us, we're never gonna get a date. It must be me, I'm ugly, I'm horrible. What's wrong with me? Why did he leave? Why did she not like me back? I pray that you Turn to the one who made you and see what he has to say about you. He says, I went to the cross so that you could find purpose, that you could find your passion, that you could find your identity. See, what you struggle to stop doing in your sin nature, he has given you the power to overcome it in him. You're not defined by your sin nature any longer when you're in Christ Jesus. See what you wish could be different about yourself. He brings purpose and reason. Why? Why can't I sing? Why can't I be up there with Kev and Grady? I wish so much that I could be there because you're too blinded by seeing what others have that you don't see what He's given you. Try stepping back and just seeing the gifts and the talents and the abilities He's given you, not other people. And when you finally come to that realization in the gospel, then you're going to start flourishing with the people around you and serving his church so wholeheartedly. You'll find purpose and reason. See, all the areas that shame tries to attack and control are swallowed up in defeat the moment the gospel changes us. The moment you understand the gospel message, sin and shame is defeated for you. The problem is we keep our hearts and minds set on all the negative, sinful, shameful things where God is telling us in Romans 12 that we'll hit eventually, renew your minds daily on what? On the word. Renew your mind daily on the word. Not just a word, not just a positive thought or a mantra that you write in Sharpie on your bathroom mirror. Not the 25 attributes that you tell yourself are great about yourself in the mirror every morning. It says renew your mind on the word. Remind yourself that Jesus Christ came and died for you. That he spilled his blood for you. That while you were still a sinner looking in the mirror telling yourself you're awesome, he came and died so that you could have life. So, how do we let this truth sink in? Because this sounds awesome, right? Sin and shame can go if we just understand the gospel. How do we let this sink in? Well, verse 15, if we scoot down a little bit to verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are no longer under the law but under grace? Again, by no means. Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as an obedient slave, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness? See, genuinely, genuinely to start getting a grasp on who we are in Christ Jesus, on who we are when it comes to sin and shame in our lives. The first step is truly understanding the gospel and what it has done for you. You're not saved just to get out of hell, like we talked about last week, right? It's not just a get out of hell free card. We're not saved to now be rule, to now let yourself be the ruler of your life and heart, right? Like we're not saved. So you got, Jesus is like, look, I took the cross for you. I spent my blood for you. I came into humanity. I, I left heaven for you. Uh, now that you accepted my gospel and now that you're saved, please go do what you feel like. I've released you from the bondage of sin. Now go have fun. Do whatever you feel like you've gotten. You're, you're not going to hell. It's great. We'll catch up in eternity. Like, thanks, Uncle Jesus. He's like the one uncle who shows up your 18th birthday to bring you like a gift card and then is gone, right? Like, he's not just like, here's the new bike. All right, see you later. That's not salvation. That's not the gospel message. See, you are saved to be a child of God, a co-heir with Christ and a citizen of heaven's domain. That's what you've been saved to. You've been saved to be born again. A newness of life. Not just to say you love Jesus on Sunday and go and act like an idiot the other six days of the week because you love Satan. No, he saved you because you're a child, you're a co-heir, and you're a citizen of heaven. See, when these are your defining labels and resounding truths, you act and sound different. when you truly start to understand that the gospel has transported you from being enslaved to sin to now being in co-heirness with Christ, you are now in the family of God. You are his child. Everything about you changes. When you wake up, and stop having to give yourself the Oprah Winfrey pep talk in the bathroom mirror. And when you wake up and the first thing that starts clicking in your head is going, man, even as cheesy as it sounds, and, it, and I wake up singing random songs, I don't know why, don't know where I hear them, but it's fine. Man, like that, that, that Sunday school song, I'm a child of God. How many of us would have such a different outlook on our daily life if that was the first thing we said to ourselves when we woke up? I'm a child of God. And then the rest of the day, you're gonna be just fleshing out what in the world that actually means to be a child of God. That means you're loved. That means you're valued. That means you're made with a purpose. Your image, everything about you, all the nuances, all the weirdness, God did on purpose. God has a plan for even our brokenness and he reveals that to us the closer we press into the gospel. But thanks be to God, that you who were once slaves of sin have been, become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching by which you have been committed. See, we have to first understand, what is the gospel message that we believed? We, we, we saw last week that we were defined as weak enemies, sinners, sinners. Without Christ. See that Jesus Christ is the only one that can save you and I. See, if I stood here every Thursday night, I feel like we could probably pack this room out and have to move to a different building if all I did was come up here for about 15, 20 minutes, tell you to hold up your Bibles, even though they're closed, and just say, You are loved, right? This is my Bible, and it says, I'm blessed. And it says, if I just hold to the promises, I'm going to get that Ferrari if I just manifest it, right? We had our, we had our tithings in the church bathroom walls. If you don't know the quotes, Joel Olstein. But anyways, we're going to move forward. Right, if, if all we ever believe about the gospel is that, that we're going to live this blessed, grandeured life with no pain, no suffering, and a lot of Botox, then we've, we've missed the gospel. Why? Because that's not the gospel we find in Scripture. That's not the truths that I'm gonna preach from this pulpit to you. That's not the truths that we're gonna talk about when we get around these tables in small groups. That's not the truths that we're gonna teach you in life. What I want all of us to understand is that man, without Jesus, we suck. We are broken, we are dead, and we will never find purpose and reason. We will never know truly how loved and valued we are as a human being until we surrender our lives to the one who literally died for us. That is when all of the brokenness, all of the shame, all of the sorrow, all of the doubt, all of the questioning and all of the hurt can get wrapped up, be put to death, and he can reveal to us what he has in store for us. He brings a purpose and a newness and a drive to all aspects of our life. And this is kind of that crescendo for us in verse 18. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves to righteousness. And there it is. There is the difference that I think a lot of us do not grapple with enough. I'm speaking in human terms, he says in verse 19, because, you, uh, because of your natural limitations for just As you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. And this is this truth. This is the truth that I said is of first importance, that I will stand on, that I will flesh out, and I will have conversations with until the day I die a genuinely believed gospel is genuinely going to be producing fruit in your life. A genuinely changed soul is genuinely going to start to look different. There is no true gospel found in these pages that says just believe it so you don't go to hell and keep living like a moron. But the gospel I find says you have now been crucified with Christ. You have now been buried in his likeness and you've been raised to walk in newness of life. I'm going to look different. Not that I I might look different or if I feel like it, I can look different later on. It's not that Jesus is my savior and maybe 10 years down the road, I'm going to make him Lord when I want to become a disciple of his. No, Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us what we all know Romans wrote. At least most of us probably do because I say it at least once a week here. But Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that he's what? Lord. And if you believe in your heart that God rose him from the dead three days later, literally rose him, not spiritually or physically, but, or both, not just one or the other, but rose him up from the dead three days later, you shall be what? Okay, so if I confess my mouth that he is Lord, so that's the Lord part. And if I believe that he rose from the dead three days later to conquer sin and death, he is the Savior. So actually, to be able to be saved by somebody, they kind of got to be Lord overall, and they kind of got to conquer sin and death, right? Because if he's not Lord, then how did he conquer? And if he didn't conquer, how is he Lord? We're trying to divorce a happy married couple. It is when we understand that he is Lord and Savior. That's what makes him different from Buddha, Muhammad, Allah, all these different, you know, Marianne Baker, Christian Scientology, right? Or Christian Science, there you go, I got the two mixed up. But my point still stands that a changed life, a truly gospel-powered life is going to produce gospel fruits. It's not that we're perfect this side of heaven But we now have the Holy Spirit power to desire righteousness and strive after Christ daily. We now have the the ministry of the person of the Holy Spirit within us who's challenging us and convicting us, right? We don't want to hide behind condemnation, but we want to press into the conviction. See, when the gospel changes us, it helps to remind us daily that in sin we mess up the relationship. See, if we're left to our sin, we mess up the relationship. We become gods ourselves, and God becomes this Swiss army nice to help us through life, right? Like, oh no, life is really bad. I'm going to chuck up a prayer. But then when life is going really good, somehow God tends to slip our minds. But when we get the relationship right, that God is the creator and we are the created, when we put God back in the right place, that he is creator of all things, and I am the creature, I am the created one, he's sovereign and in control, I'm over here trying to live life daily, figuring it out like the rest of us in the ministry of God. Then our purpose and reason will begin to shine forth. There's a lot of us tonight that we're struggling with understanding that Christ needs to stay on the throne. When shame and guilt and suffering sink in nine times out of ten, it's because we put ourselves back on the throne. And so as we close tonight, I want to leave you with some of these points. Number one, shame only wins when we are grieving the Holy Spirit. Shame only wins when we are grieving the Holy Spirit. When we stop thinking about what the gospel has saved us from, when we stop praying to God, when we stop reading our Bibles, when we start pressing into the old man, when we start satisfying the flesh, that's when shame sinks in. Sin and shame win when we forget who we belong to. When we remind ourselves that we belong to King Jesus, we put shame in its proper place. Number two, daily humility brings about a life of holiness. Be holy as I am holy, says the scripture. Christ stepped out of heaven, took the form of man, considered himself nothing to take the cross. And it shined his holiness through and through. Let us then become humble. A life of holiness becomes present in the humility that we have. The more humble that we become, the more we're able to see what we've been saved from and live in what he saved us for. And number three, self-hate only goes away when we understand the love shown to us in the gospel. And that might be hard for some of us tonight. Because for a lot of us, there's things about ourselves that we hate. But just know that Christ died for all of you. Not everything but your crooked nose. Or your one squinty eye. Or the fact that you're a brunette and not a blonde. Right? Christ died for all of you. Not just parts of you. And so as we close and as we're about to get into small group time, I, I just I want to challenge you guys of these two things. That if you've genuinely been born again, that first fruit that you're gonna know of a genuine salvation is that that of conviction. If there's struggle and conviction and, and this like burden that sinks in, don't think it's something wrong. I mean that's the Holy Spirit starting to dive into years of sin nature that just built up. Press into the conviction. Press into the questioning. Press into the doubt. Those are fruits. I had a I had a student last night come up to me and go, "How do I know?" Like I'm kind of nervous. Like how do I how do I know that that has genuinely happened for me? And I said that question right there says everything it needs to. A genuinely saved person would not care to know if they've already been saved. See if they're unsaved. They're not going to go like, like I thought I was, like maybe I am. No, nine times out of ten, unsaved people are going to go like, yeah, no, I don't believe that garbage. And she lit up. It was, it was the best thing ever. It was awesome. But we've, we've, we've walked away from that, that area of pressing into those who question, those who doubt. Instead of walking with them, we shame them. Just have more faith. Well, that didn't answer a single thing. But the moment you start to go, hey, like, am I truly his? Like, I, I pray, I read the Bible, but like, how do I know I'm truly his? That question right there. You care, you're desiring to know the wherewithal. And number two, can y'all just stop hating what God's redeemed? If, even if we leave with the most applicable thing here tonight, So many of us sitting in this room, when we go home, there's probably a list that we have of just things that we hate about ourselves. Can you get over it? He went to the cross for all of you. That's why scripture says in eternity, we're gonna have these bodies, but perfected. He cares about what we do, right? Your body is a temple. We can go down all these lists of verses. He cares. So, Promise me that if the doubt sinks in or the insults start to rev up in your head towards yourself, just, man, I'm a child of God. All of me. He has made me. He knew me. He knitted me in the womb. Can can we remind ourselves of that tonight? And that reality will only sink in if you truly understand the gospel. Let's bow our heads. Let's bow our hearts. And then we're going to go into small group time, but let's pray together. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you for Christ Jesus who died for us. And not only did he die so that we could die to sin, but he rose again so that we could be raised to walk in newness of life. God, shame sucks. Sin sucks. And they attack us constantly. We ourselves constantly are forgetting what you've saved us from and what you've saved us for. So God, tonight, remind all of us that if we believe the gospel message and we've placed our faith in King Jesus, then we are saved and we are held firm and we have purpose and reason. And God, if there's a single person in this room tonight who's struggling with the gospel, never accepted the gospel message, God, I pray we have those conversations here tonight. Father, let us put sin and shame to death are turning to the cross. God, we love you. Bless this time together. Keep us safe in our drives home and the rest that we have. And let us look forward to Sunday as we gather again in the house of the Lord. Father, we love you. We thank you for this all in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and get the small groups.